Connecting people and sharing experiences. This is the Retirement Years Podcast. Your hosts are Mary Ellen French and Dave Wing. Hi there, I'm Mary Ellen French. And I'm Dave Wing. And today is the final episode of our five-part series using a white paper created by RTO ERO that was designed to help their membership transition to retirement. The paper entitled Five Ways to Think About Retirement Planning and Money Isn't One of Them helps encourage those about to retire and those already retired to think about how they want to spend their time and how they want to be remembered, which segues nicely into today where we will discuss what we pass along as our legacy to others in our episode called Leaving Your Mark, The Many Ways to Leave a Legacy. And I will start out with a quote today that I read recently in looking up information for today. And this comes from author Shannon L. Alder. Carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. I love that. Well, and, and we will hear stories today about uh, yes. uh, family members and what they're saying. I worry <laughs> what they'll say about me, but <laughs> I, I guess I still have time. You I've do. Time, I have time you to do. correct that. Um, so this section starts out with the question, Mary Ellen, what is the most important thing to pass along to future generations? And that is a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, before reading the white paper, I would have suspected Uh, the number one answer would be financial wealth and stability, maybe followed closely with uh, something like a world capable of comfortably sustaining many generations to come. That's Mm -hmm. that's what I would have suspected before reading the white paper. Yeah, I think um, after reading that, it does change the the perspective Mm -hmm. of of what's important to pass on. Yes. Um, The study that this section relies upon for information is was done by AgeWave, and AgeWave is an organization that studies issues relating to the aging population. Uh, these include retirees' impacts on business, social, healthcare, financial, workforce, and culture. And as we discovered in our last episode, uh, centering around generosity, um, the aging population isn't being seen as a drain. It's actually being seen as a bonus, and I think that's yes. that's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. Um, over the next several decades, the paper reports, uh, this study reports that over $25 trillion will be passed from one generation to the next. And that's pretty big transactions that you need yeah. to give some thought to. Yeah. Uh, the Alliance American Legacies Study, as this was titled, asked 2,627 people, boomers and elders, to identify how they define leaving a legacy and how families are communicating about these sensitive issues today. Um, so there, I'll just do the key findings okay. of the study. The first one being financial inheritance is just one part of intergenerational transfer. Mm-hmm. I think we focus on that, like how much have yeah. I put away, how much will I be able to give to my, my children, grandchildren, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting to note that the study revealed that there are actually four pillars of legacy, values and life lessons, personal possessions of emotional value, wishes and directions to be fulfilled, and financial assets and real estate uh, at the end. A much broader definition of legacy, for sure. Mm-hmm. And and I know that I've often joked with, with my spouse that if my directions aren't, uh, like if she goes rogue on my directions, <laughs> that I will haunt her forever. And I, I'm currently researching ways to do that. Um, 
There's not a lot of information. No. Uh, <laughs> financial, another key point, financial assets are not the most important of the four pillars. No, no. And I, I, I think that's bang on. Um, in fact, non-financial leave behinds like ethics, morality, faith, and religion mm-hmm. are 10 times more important to boomers and elder parents than financial aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of soul searching, eh? When you get yeah. to, when you think about what you're what you're passing on. Um, inheritance isn't a given. No. Now, if you're a younger listener, you're going, wait, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, elders uh, at 22 percent are seven times more likely than boomers at three percent to believe that they owe their children an inheritance. Hmm. What do you think of that? Well, so this reminds me of something I think that came up in the research that I was doing, which is that uh, boomers are more likely to take some of the money that they may have set aside for inheritance after they pass Mm -hmm. and start distributing that amongst their kids and their grandchildren while they themselves are still alive to see the benefit of that money in their kids' and grandkids' lives. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think also, I mean, you'd get different opinions on this, but I think that young people uh, are, I think, safe to say, more worldly, more self-reliant, maybe at an earlier age. Mm. And and perhaps they have, I mean, every parent wants their kids to, to do better mm-hmm. and have better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also maybe that there's a little bit of it, well, they're, they're doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, perhaps we can, we can spend a little of this on us or distribute it into another cause. Right. So I think there's a lot of factors there, but interesting that the, the new, the uh, boomers mm-hmm. who are retiring aren't as, aren't, aren't as behooven. No. Um, but as you said, they may have already done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of families haven't yet discussed legacy planning. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. big mistake. Yeah. I think that is, um, it's tough to talk about it. Um, the majority of boomers and elders say they feel highly confident discussing inheritance and legacy planning, yet only around a third of both groups mm-hmm. have done it. Mm-hmm. So they, they talk about it and think it's a great idea. Uh, and I don't think it's happening uh, at the rate that maybe it should. No. Yeah, so they're talking the talk, but they're not walking it. Yeah, and I get it. I, yep. I get why, but uh, if you think long term, it, it really helps out mm-hmm. um, if you've done oh, that. Oh, definitely. Uh, money isn't the greatest source of conflict for families. Hmm. Uh, that's sort of the, you know, when you think about it, you think, oh, they must be fighting over the, the yeah. inheritance. But yeah. uh, fulfilling last wishes, there would be different opinions about that, I'm sure, and mm-hmm. distributing personal possessions are five uh, times more likely to be the greatest source of family conflict during a legacy transfer than the distribution of finances. And, and I agree with that. Like, okay, yeah. money can come and go, Yeah. but there may be some things you hold dear, mm-hmm. and maybe someone else does. So I could see that creating some, some mm-hmm. controversy. Another For good sure. reason to plan yeah. ahead. Uh, this, this is a built-in argument. Many elder, elders rely more heavily on an alpha child, um, hmm. I think, and they have alpha child in, in quotes, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing quotes now in, with the air quotes, and you can't see me. No. Um, <laughs> also known as the favorite child by the others. Uh, <laughs> I won't ask you. Because nope. <laughs> Marianne has siblings, and so do I. We yes. Could, because I, I, it's uncomfortable for me, because for a variety of reasons, it was me. Um, <laughs> Uh, two and five elders say that they have an alpha child defined as the child 
they turn to first. The Alpha Child is a leading resource for financial professionals discussing legacy issues with elders, so that this child would often be present mm -hmm. or taking the reins entirely. Right. As the Alpha Child is twice as likely as his or her siblings to have discussed all four pillars of legacy with elder parents. Mm -hmm. and, and as I said, I think that's a recipe for not getting along. <laughs> well, it's interesting too. Like I think a lot of people would assume the alpha child is the oldest child and that is not necessarily no, not the always, case. No. And for a variety of reasons, right? So, huh. So that reminds me or connects to, I should say, um, the study that I looked at, which uh, was another age wave study actually. This one was done with Merrill Lynch. So in this study, uh, Merrill and Age Wave interviewed more than 3,000 Americans age 55 and up, and they wanted to do a comprehensive look at attitudes and practices surrounding legacy planning. And as you can well imagine, several of the findings are, are similar to the findings of the study that you looked at, Dave. Yeah. Um, they explored a range of topics, including what people most want to be remembered for, which was memories shared with loved ones, according to more than two-thirds of the respondents. And they looked at the benefits of having your affairs in order. So among the findings, although most Americans recognize that people should have their affairs in order before they turn 50, only about half have a will by that age. Mm. And fewer than one in five have prepared a will, advance health care directive, and durable power of attorney. Even though most people acknowledge that a lack of planning can leave their families in a bind. Yeah. Right? So planning your legacy can give you the reassurance that you've done all you can to organize your life, articulate your wishes, and shape how you will be remembered. Now, on that point quickly, Mary Ellen, yeah. I can say from personal experience, mm -hmm. it is not painful and not very expensive to have a professional do your will. Definitely. You can do the kits, mm -hmm. and I did, mm -hmm. and... I don't think it, it can't be as comprehensive because uh, a lawyer will ask you certain mm -hmm. questions that yes. you may not have thought about. Correct. And you go, oh gosh, yes, I better, I yeah. better cover that off. Or different combinations and permutations that may impact your particular situation mm -hmm. when it comes time to, to um, yeah. divvy things up in the estate. So yeah. if it, it's, it's not, as I said, it wasn't a painful experience at all. No. And you'll have a, it well written and they file a copy. Mm -hmm. and you have a copy. So mm -hmm. no matter what happens, someone can get one. And I, again, from personal experience, that can be an adventure as well. Yeah. And and did you not experience um, a peace of mind once you had that will done? Absolutely. And yeah. I know where it is. Yeah. It's in a fire safe. And yeah, yeah it's, it's there. And it's not for me. No. No. I, I'm not no. going to benefit from it. But no. to know that it, there's a document there for them, yeah. Yeah. And and that fits with, with you know, what this study showed as well. So 87% of Americans surveyed say that it's a parent's responsibility to initiate the legacy planning conversations, and yet few do. And the sticking point is children's reluctance to take part in those conversations mm -hmm. because it forces them to acknowledge their parents' mortality. So from personal experience, I can tell you that um, my kids, and yours are similarly aged, mine are 22 and uh, almost 21, they often talk to me about being worried that I'm going to be passing away soon. I don't know how old they think I am, but I'm only <laughs> in my mid-50s. Yeah. So from my perspective, I'm continually reassuring them that I expect to be on this earth for at least another 30 years, and they are likely going to be my age that I am now, right. hopefully, before there's any thought or worry about my passing. But they they don't like to think about that, and they're only in their 20s. So I don't know that that gets any easier because we, we certainly do look up to our parents. Um, 
none of us really wants to think about them passing, but it is part of the natural cycle of life. Yeah. So from the study, although these frank planning conversations may be uncomfortable as they're happening, it's necessary to have them so that everyone's expectations are out on the table. Once you've had them, you can enjoy life more fully, knowing you've done your best to see that your wishes will be observed and your family well cared for. Right. And, and Dave, that ties back to what you were yep. saying with your experience yeah. with, with preparing a will, right? Right. Yeah. So a couple of recommendations uh, from the study. One, make it a life-affirming conversation. So when you're talking to your family about this, don't be focusing on the fact of, well, when I die, this is what I want to see mm-hmm. happen. Um, don't focus it on death, focus it on life and start the conversation early when you're young, when you're healthy, and then return to the subject regularly. So I'm not saying you need to have this conversation with your kids uh, every time they come home to visit at Christmas, but I am suggesting that you want to have the conversation, you know, at least a few times every now and again, because by doing that, you help to normalize it. And by normalizing it, it becomes less uncomfortable for your children to to know what your wishes are and 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 for you to know that you know they're more comfortable with that. Number 2, emphasize the benefits of planning ahead. The top benefit that was cited by those surveyed for this study was relieving the burden on loved ones. That was their main reason yeah. for wanting to get their affairs in order, which which makes total sense, yeah, right? It does. Yeah, it not only gives you more control over your legacy, but it really helps to make life easier for your family, right? Um, and I've been where that hasn't been the case. Yeah. And that is not the time to no. be thinking about no. details that you could care no. less about. No. Um, yeah, so the more you do, the more I think that's an important legacy to pass on right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally, the key to legacy planning is communicating your wishes to your family. And and one potential way to start that conversation is to bring up a personal story. So maybe, you know, maybe the the story of a of someone that you know who had a loved one who recently became gravely ill and that caused a lot of upheaval in their family because the family was unprepared. And and following that story, you can say something like, "Well, that made me start thinking about what would happen in our family, and here's how I would like to see us handle it." So I really, I really liked that idea. I think that it's easier for people to hear about somebody else's family than it is to necessarily think about their own. But it's a good segue into thinking about right. one's own family, right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, you could also start by telling your young adult children that you have a will, right? That might be, yeah. that might be the start into that conversation. Uh, you might also want to tell them that you've designated people you trust as your powers of attorney until such time that, you know, your children feel that they're ready to assume those roles. And then over time, because you're going to have these conversations more than once, over time, you can share more details of your wishes and you can really increase the depth of that conversation. I think if you started it, that process, and formalized it, it can still be a, pardon the pun, but a living document that that can change as as needs do. and, And I think that's wise to do. Well, and that's the that brings us to the last point in the study, which is revisit your plan, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, someday you, the will that you create now, for example, for Dave and I, um, would just be for our children, right? Perhaps someday you'll have grandchildren that right. you want to consider in your will. Or, you know, you might be ready to think about leaving a broader legacy of giving to some causes that you care about. So the will, once you make it, can be revisited. Any of your legacy planning can be revisited right? and should be. Yeah, I was thinking it, 
it, you may want to revisit it if one of the you know children disappoint you. But. <laughs> never. No, of course if my not. children are listening, never. No. Mine, not likely. Um, <laughs> so this section of the white paper by R-T-O-E-R-O, uh, on leaving a legacy, this is what they had to say in, in summary. What's empowering is that you don't need anything material to leave a legacy. The example you set, the memories you create with grandchildren, the impact you ha make on a cause, uh, the way you've tried to leave things better than when you found them are all ways to make your mark. Yeah. Nobody lives forever, but the idea of legacy can help you to live in the way you want to be remembered. The retirement years are a perfect time to keep building that legacy. I, I love that. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that. And that is the definition of legacy that um, I shared with my family. I asked my, my brother and my sisters and my mom and my nieces and my nephews and my kids uh, if they would help me out for this episode of the podcast by considering the legacy that my dad, their grandfather, left when he passed four and a half years ago. And so the definition of, of legacy that, you know, Dave was talking about, the example you set, the memories you create, the impact you make on a cause, I, I shared that broad definition with them and asked them to send me their thoughts in audio clips. And bless my incredible family, they did. So what you're about to hear is uh, a compilation uh, lovingly put together by Dave. Thank you very much for editing this particular section. I don't know that I could have done it. Mm. Um, have a listen. I have a lot of memories of spending time with my grandpa from my childhood. A lot of these include spending time together in the fields, on tractors, whether we were feeding cattle, doing hay, uh, or also sitting at the kitchen table watching him and grandma play cribbage every single night, or maybe it was us playing board games together on the living room floor. Uh, my grandpa was such a loving, a kind, a genuine, and an intentional person, and he just loved the people around him so well. Dad's legacy is really just what he instilled in us um, as, as a father. Um, the characteristics and um, values, I guess, that help us to be humans um, working towards the betterment of humanity in this world. And so that is um, the legacy that I would say probably, uh, I guess, resonates the strongest with me. Yeah, when I think of the legacy of my grandpa, I think of just the value of time spent together in relationship and how, yeah, just how many things he invited me into as a kid and growing up. I can remember in particular when he first got diagnosed with dementia and I would come home from school and it felt like almost every day he'd be on the phone asking if I was available to just come help him with things. Yeah, they weren't necessarily things that needed doing or needed two people to do them, but he was more concerned about spending time together. My Gramps was one of my best friends and biggest role models, and to me, his legacy is huge. Every moment I spent with him was fun and special, even if it was just the routine, daily moments of driving the truck or tractor together after school, searching for our cows so we could count them. He was the kindest and wisest person I know, and he passed down so many values and lessons to me. Dad was a man who celebrated his faith, his family, and his community. He stayed very busy serving others while putting love at the center of everything he did. 
building relationships, and building community were central to his sense of purpose. When I think of the legacy that my father left behind, I think of one word, grace. The way he lived his life, even until his final day, was a lesson in what it looks like to have grace in oneself and for others. The way he handled aging and how his body turned on him such grace. When I think of my father, I think of grace embodied. So my grandpa was always cracking jokes. He was always funny. He was always giving little little quips and little quirks. And every time he would say something funny or make a little goof, um, he would always turn back to me or one of my cousins and he'd wink at us. And something about that, that small moment really stuck with me and like instilled in me the importance of feeling in included and feeling loved and how to make sure now that I also provide that for other people out of just like that really small kind of sweet moment between my grandfather and I really instilled like a longer life lesson in me. When I think of the legacy grandpa left behind, um, I think the first word that comes to mind is caring. Uh, I know anytime I'd be around, he would always make the time to be with you, even if he had a million things that he had to do on the farm. And also just the amount of love and the care he'd put into the farm and the cattle uh, just really stuck with me. Like, I can remember going out all the time and just like counting the cattle or feeding them grain together. And um, yeah, just the love and the care he had for everything that he did in his life. Bill's legacy. I think he would say that uh, that would be his four children followed by his eight grandchildren. And uh, I think I would have to agree with that. Uh, the most important thing to him was family and he loved them all unconditionally. His work ethics were also important, and uh, the importance being uh, involvement in his church and in his community. I think he instilled that certainly in his children, and I can see it in some of his grandchildren besides. Certainly family was the most important. The thing I remember most about my grandfather was that he loved to have fun. So some things I remember about my grandfather or that stick with me are he would always um, give really good hugs. Uh, I always felt loved by his hugs. And he would always greet people with this huge smile and um, in this big boisterous greeting that just made you feel very special. I believe dad's legacy was his family. Mom and dad had four kids, have four kids. Uh, and eight grandchildren, and uh, they both instilled in us uh, not only a love of family, but a love of others just in general. And so out of that love grows service. And dad was the epitome of service to others. He spent his entire working career as a bell repairman, and so he provided customer service, and he worked with so many local community organizations and provincial farming organizations and uh, his church. And so he, he really embodied what it was to be in service of others. And we all have carried that on in our own way.
And so I believe that was his legacy. You know, I first want to say that I, I, I was honored that you gave me the opportunity to do that. It was, it was tough at times because I knew I was editing out words from people <laughs> who knew your dad. And that, that felt a little harsh, but uh, the show must go on. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I enjoyed doing it. And uh, as we spoke a little bit before we started recording, it epitomized the idea that uh, legacy, in most cases, the meaningful legacy, yeah. cost nothing. No. And what really struck for me was I... I I can't remember who said it in the clips, whether it was a niece or daughter, so my apologies, but that just the sharing of an inside joke and a wink made her feel um, part of the loop and included, and it it was a memory she held forever, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. It was such a gift. As each one of these audio clips came into me, it was an absolute gift to be able to to listen to them and to um, smile and to shed a tear. And I am so grateful to my incredible family for putting this together. I know it took a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people were, you know, had a lot of courage and sent it to me right away. And others were very reluctant and had to, you know, have a few nudges because I think they were worried it wouldn't be, you know, what I was looking for. And honestly, each of them was so authentic and uh, so personal, and yet I could relate to every one of them, and every one of them was a little bit different, and yet there were a lot of similarities between them. And I think that altogether, they they do exemplify that Dad's legacy was his family. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I just want to do a shout out to my amazing family. Well, and it's nice for you to see too that it's already passed down. Yeah, a couple generations. Yeah, um, and so it will continue. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you'd asked a bit about my uh, upbringing yeah. uh, and, and re- in relation to how that led to an inheritance. Uh, my mom and dad uh, lived in Smith Falls, Ontario, which when people think of Smith Falls, they think of the Hershey factory that was there. Um, and in 1953, they decided with the, my sister, the, who was the elder, eldest sibling, to move to the little village of Lindhurst, and open up a store. Uh, and now on my, on my mom's side, her dad did have a, a shop in, the, in another village. So that was in her blood a bit. But they opened the business and continued to run that for 54 wow. years. That's um, incredible. Yeah, I won't say 54 years without any glitches, but <laughs> 54 years. Yeah. Um, then in the winter of 2007, my mom passed away quite suddenly. And while we were, and keep in mind, they're still running the store. It wasn't open in the winters, but they were still running the store. Yeah. And then on the day of mom's funeral, uh, dad started taking ill. It ended up it was pneumonia that he was struggling with and hadn't said anything all day because he's a guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, into the early morning hours, the evening and then the early morning hours, he he passed away. So five days apart. So that kind of brought an end to the the store, obviously, because uh, uh, my siblings and I had moved on. But it did, um, you know, it left for some... uh, legacy for me for sure first the village gets the legacy of wings live bait as yeah. they called the store yeah uh it's still there it is uh, yes the owners are the ones who purchased it during uh, the estate yeah and uh it's running bigger and better than ever so they're, they're doing quite well and, and i hope that continues i love that they kept the name mm-hmm. they, and during the 
the estate process, uh, the sale. Yeah. They had sent a letter to us through their lawyer yeah. asking if they could. Uh-huh. And I remember that that led to some discussion among the siblings. Um, wow, what do we do? And then at the end, we said, you know what? Why not? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they're keeping the name yeah. and, and running with it. I love it. Uh, on a personal note, some of my fondest memories are in the front. I don't know if the new owners have this, but uh, Dad created the Liar's Bench. <laughs> and never has there been a bench more aptly named. <laughs> the number of <laughs> tales I heard on that bench, uh-huh. um, mostly around hunting and fishing. and mm-hmm. Oh, but then it involved feats of strength. And, right. Yeah, there was a lot of nonsense. Yeah. But very, like, but my fondest memories of the, of the fond memory is sitting in the evening. My dad and I'd be sitting on the bench and watching cars go through the village, um, you know, eight at least, if not ten cars. <laughs> might pass through but dad would have a comment or he'd know somebody or, yeah. or, or make fun of them whatever it happened to be yeah and you know how people joke about i came from a place so small we only had one street light we had zero <laughs> street lights no street lights but you had to be careful going over the bridge because yes. it was technically single lane so yes. you might clip mirrors if you both yeah had to go across at the same time but that was entertainment yeah. too back then <laughs> uh but then uh, when it started getting late and we wanted to close the store. Dad and I would, we had like military precision. We had to get the lights off and bring the stuff inside, the signs and stuff, and get it locked up before the locals, who are <laughs> chatters, wanted to get in. And then he couldn't get the damn store closed. Right. So there was always like, hurry, 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 lights off. So that was kind of, I look back on that. But, you know, growing up in a family business, when you're a teenager, it felt like it sucked. Yeah. Uh, because, well, I was getting up at 530 in the morning to go out on the lake to catch live bait. Uh, other kids are likely sleeping, uh-huh. and then in the evening I'm there till nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, and it just felt somehow cruel. Right. But from that, um, I learned uh, work ethic, yeah, sense of responsibility, yeah. and that ability to to chat and deal with strangers, yes. like to to work with them. Yes. And I've used that well in, in my yes. career. Believe yes, me. Yes, you have. Uh, and then to mom and dad, I owe each of them something, and in this order. Stubbornness and a sense of humor. Yes. Also known as being a smartass. <laughs> and uh, I love them to death, and I wouldn't have changed a thing. No. Uh, I, I, I cherish yeah. that, that family legacy. Yeah. For sure. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. All right, the final study that uh, I'm going to share a little bit about today uh, was an Edward Jones study of Canadians. And it's entitled, How Do You Want to Be Remembered? And it's, it starts off, uh, the, the article anyway, the study, starts off with um, a true story that highlights one family's struggle after the death of a loved one. And so essentially the story is that um, uh, a man's wife passed away when she was relatively young. They had two children. Uh, he remarried. And um, of course, then the unthinkable happens, a routine checkup, some tests. He's diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, mm-hmm. a, not a good prognosis, uh, and then is on life support. The hospital calls in his closest of kin, which is his wife, um, his two children from his first marriage, and then his stepchildren. And the doctor recommends discontinuing life support because, you know, the, the poor man is not going to recover to live his life fully. And so the family has to make a decision. And at that moment, uh, the two children from his first marriage realized that they've never discussed their dad's wishes, mm. right? Yeah. And so she really doesn't have any knowledge, the daughter, uh, doesn't have any knowledge of what 
her dad would want when it comes to his financial legacy or any final arrangements. So, so as the family is gathered around um, the hospital bed, his second wife pulls out a power of attorney for personal care document signed by her husband and shares that his wishes were to pull the plug should his survival ever be dependent on life support. And then it's just a blur after this, right? Like, so the, you know, the family holds a funeral, they cremate um, the, the man, and then as per his will, all of his remaining assets go to his second wife. Mm-hmm. And his cremated remains go into an urn, which she keeps in her home. So the two children from his first marriage don't end up staying in contact with their stepmother and, and their step siblings. Right. And um, and then she passed away two years later, the, the, the second wife, and she left all of her remaining assets to her children, including the urn that contained her husband's ashes. Mm-hmm. And they had no way of knowing, the, the oldest two kids had no way to contact the step-siblings, so really they don't even know where their father's remains are resting. And like, that's an awful story. Right. An awful story. But I suspect one that happens far more often than people realize. So that's something you want to avoid happening. Right. So that is why you need to have a legacy plan. You, you, it's unpleasant to think about, sure, but the reality is, as we said before, that no one lives forever. So, you know, you, you do have to have these conversations. You don't want a situation like the one I just described to end up happening in, in your family, whether, you know, your situation doesn't feel similar to that or does feel similar to that. You don't want to leave an, an undue burden for those that you've left behind. You know, that's when people are grieving, that is not the time when they need to be um, trying to figure out what your wishes might have been. Right. Those should have been conversations that you were having regularly enough that, that you know, those that, you've left, those that you leave behind know what needs to be done and can really focus on supporting one another at that time, right? And the situation you describe is complicated. It is. And I know that if you're in a complicated situation, you know it. Yeah. So I think yeah. the better you plan and discuss it, yeah. the, the better it'll be for those who are, are left wondering at the end. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the final thought from that study was that your legacy should empower your family and future generations to become their best selves. So the absence of a well-thought-out and communicated plan could leave undue burden on those you've left behind. Yeah, I, I, those are that's excellent advice. Yeah. yeah. Um, the f- I know this hasn't been super uplifting, but I think it's again it's we're having the conversations that we're yeah. encouraging people have yeah. a conversation with their loved ones for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of bring to the near the end today with someone that um, as you and I discussed as well that if you're a Canadian for no matter how long a time really uh, you've heard the name Terry Fox yeah um, it's there's Terry Fox run done in schools it's been there been for for 40 years now mm-hmm. um, so this young man for those who haven't heard of Terry he's, he was uh, lived in British Columbia and when he was 18 years old in 1977 he was diagnosed with cancer. And subsequently, Terry uh, lost a leg to amputation. And during his recovery, he was in a children's ward for whatever reason Mm -hmm. that got him there. And seeing children much younger than him going through cancer treatment uh, 
his quote later when he left there, when he was asked about why he wants to do what he's about to do, he said, how do you go through that experience and not do something? I couldn't just walk away. Yeah. And this is a kid. Yeah. Like to you and me. I know. Yeah. And, and this, this otherwise, he was a, he had a bright future, but mm -hmm. who knows what that future would have held. But um, getting cancer actually changed the path of so many lives we'll never oh, know yeah. because it was then that terry decided he was going to and this must have had people shaking their heads he was going to run across canada yeah even as canadians we don't know how big this country is no. try, just try driving somewhere mm -hmm. and so he was going to uh, do this feat and raise money to help fight cancer and call it the marathon of hope yeah now the training alone he trained for 15 months ran 5,000 kilometers or over 3,100 miles for 101 days, doing 23 miles a day. That was his training. Training. Yeah. Yeah. And then he started his run in April, April 12th, 1980, in St. John's, Newfoundland. Absolutely. Dips his toe in the water. I visited that this Did summer. You? It was oh, very moving. There's the, another bronze statue there. Yeah. So he dips his toe in the water there and starts off. Mm -hmm. Terry ran on one leg and a prosthetic. Yeah. 5,373 kilometers or 3,339 miles from St. John's. He um, ran through six provinces and was two-thirds of the way home. He yeah. was heading back to uh, BC. Mm -hmm. And he had, to, he had run close to a marathon a day for 143 days. Wow. Uh, he was forced to end his run. He wasn't feeling well and was having trouble breathing yeah. on September 1st, 1980. And they discovered that cancer had spread to his lungs. Yeah. Um, however, um, by February, so that was September, by February 1st, 1981, Terry's dream was to raise a dollar for every Canadian. Yeah. And at the time, there's just over 23 million, I believe, Canadians. Yeah. And at that point in February, the run, the Marathon of Hope had raised 24.17 million. So he made his goal. Yeah. Uh, Terry died uh, June 28, 1981. Yeah. And again, this is about a regular guy who did this and mm -hmm. left this legacy for everyone. Mm -hmm. And then another regular person enters the story on Terry's death, the nurse who worked extensively with him. Mm -hmm. uh, she came out to, to make the announcement of his death. And she said, he died surrounded by love, the love of his family, uh, all of whom were with him, and the love and prayers of the entire nation. He has left us a legacy of hope, which I think will live and become a part of our nation's heritage. Pretty wise words from <laughs> from a lady who is working uh, with Terry in a yeah. healthcare position, not a politician. No. This is an everyday person. Yeah. And you know what? You couldn't be more right. Mm -hmm. Today's schools and communities all across Canada continue the tradition by holding Terry Fox runs. And to date, the Legacy Marathon has raised over $850 million That's since amazing. 1980. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. So incredible and so inspiring, right? Like mm -hmm. that's... Like you say, an ordinary guy, um, my dad, an ordinary guy, your folks, ordinary yep. people, right? And and if we hope today's episode uh, has inspired you to reflect on the legacy that you're leaving and not the financial legacy, but how you want to be remembered, no matter how old you are, right? If you're if you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s, you're in your 50s, you've already started making an impression on the next generation. And if you're in your 70s or your 80s, it's not about the financial legacy that you're going to leave your family. It's about really the, the memories that you've created with them. 
It's your legacy is about who you are and who you have been to them uh, and the life lessons that you've been able to pass on. And that is more important than any financial legacy that you could pass on. So next week, we're going to review season one. Yes. And we're also going to share a sneak peek at season two. Okay. I know. I'm very excited. Very excited about what's to come. So until then, I'm Mary Ellen. And I'm Dave. And don't forget to check out the Retirement Years Podcast website, theretirementyearspodcast.com, and come follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you via Twitter, and you'll find us at Retirement Years, or by email, theretirementyearspodcast at gmail.com. Stay well. Me being famous myself is not, is not the idea that ran, and it wasn't the idea from the very beginning. To me, the only important part about the publicity is cancer can be beaten, and the Marathon of Hope. And I'm, I'm just one member of the Marathon of Hope. I'm no different from anybody else. I'm no better, I'm no lower, I'm, no, I'm equal with all of you. And if I ever change the attitude myself, then there's no use in, in continuing. If I don't make it, nobody would make it. Maybe I won't make it, but if it's up to me, I think I can do it. You've been listening to the Retirement Years Podcast. Original music by Theodora Draper. For additional content, visit our website or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Our email address is the Retirement Years Podcast at gmail.com.